I've been looking forward all week to this message to talk about joy. And I've been wondering all week, how in the world are we going to set this up and talk about joy? And as we were riding in the car last night, um, the, my, my, one of my kids looked at, or asked me, they didn't look at me because I was driving and they were in the back seat. So she probably looked at me, but I didn't look back at her. And she's like, Daddy, there's nothing you won't eat. And I said, uh, wrong, false. And she's like, I'm going to make you a bunch of stuff, and, and I know that you'll eat it all. And I said, false, uh, again. And, uh, and she's like, what will you not eat? And so um, very quickly I told her, mushrooms. I just, I, anybody else? Anybody else just will not eat mushrooms, right? Now, I've eaten mushrooms because they've been very well hidden in my food, okay? I haven't been aware that they were there, and so I have eaten mushrooms, okay, become aware after the fact, and not been very impressed, okay? Um, and so that's, that's, been, that's been a reality. So I've eaten, I've, ta- I've tasted. Some people are like, oh, you don't like it because you haven't eaten it. No, I've, I've been there. I've done that, okay? Um, and, uh, and I chose not to buy the t-shirt, all right? So, um, and so there, there are things that, that I just don't like, okay? I used to, used to, true story, true story, true story, true story. In four-year-old preschool, four-year-old preschool, that's the type of memory I've got, four-year-old preschool, I, I gagged at the smell of celery. Now, my wife doesn't believe this because she's like, celery doesn't have a smell. No, nope, false, it does, and it's strong, okay? And I can pinpoint celery when I walk into Walmart. I can tell you exactly where the celery is, and it used to you know, make me not do nice things. And, and, um, and, and then Kristen convinced me, my wife convinced me to try it one time, and now I eat celery. So that has shifted. Mushrooms, nope, still don't like them, okay? But... But the point is, there, there are things we don't like, right? But then there are things that we don't necessarily like, but we know they're good for us, right? Like anybody on the apple cider vinegar train? Anybody on that bus? Okay, like, like the, the shot of apple cider vinegar, and then you try to mask it with honey and lemon juice, and that like apparently makes a sore throat and cold go away or whatever. I do like, I do like three or four of those a week this time of year. And it's brutal. Man, it's brutal. But, but I know, I know, I know that that apple cider vinegar is good for me, but that doesn't mean I like it. And so as we talk about joy, and today we're going to talk about pure joy, we're going to talk about pure joy, but as we talk about joy, there's a big difference, and chances are you've heard this, you've probably heard me talk about it if you've been around here before and you've listened to me preach on joy, but joy is not the same thing as happiness, because eating things I like make me happy, okay? White chocolate pretzels make me happy in the moment, Maybe not 30 minutes later, but in the moment, they make me happy, right? There are things that make me happy, but not joyful. And there are things that make me joyful, but they don't necessarily make me happy. And the point I want to make this morning is that we cannot run off of happy, but we can run off of joy. Trying to run off of happy is like a diesel truck trying to run off of gasoline. Have you ever seen that happen? Some of you guys, right? You've got a diesel truck, and then you, and then you go and put 
gas in it. And that truck that I rented a couple months ago or the, the dealership, it was a diesel truck. And I went to the gas station and I was about this close from putting gasoline in it. That would have been a bad day for everybody because that truck's not going to run very long on gasoline because it needs diesel, right? Um, and, and so in the same way, we need joy. Our soul can run off of joy. It can't run off of happy. And the, and the tension there that we're going to wrestle with this morning with Scripture is that we like happy. We like happy. We like to feel happy. We like to be happy. Um, Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, kind of a theme verse for us this morning as we talk about joy. Then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. Take care of everybody. Make sure that they have sustenance for this day is holy to our Lord and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. I love that. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We were designed for joy. Look at your neighbor and say, you were designed for joy. Okay, now that we're awake, all right, now that we're awake, without delay, look at your other neighbor and tell him you were designed for joy. Okay, all right. So we were designed for joy, and joy is the fuel for our soul. Our soul can enjoy happy, but it can't run off happy. It's got to run off of joy. And so let's look at happiness. Very quickly, we're going to hit this, and then we're going to jump into the book of James together. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of James. Happiness is a feeling that we get, or is... Uh, or happiness is a feeling that we get, or it's something that's controlled by our happenings. Happiness is controlled by our happenings. I'm happy when my team wins. I'm happy when my team plays well. Right now, my basketball team's not playing very well. We haven't scored 50 points our last two games, and I haven't been very happy about that, especially when they played on the same day that the Patriots played, and the Patriots lost too. That was a bad day, Okay? Um, that happiness is based on our happenings. If something goes our way, we're happy. And I want you to see this. Happiness is outside in. Okay? Happiness is circumstantial. It's outside in. It's based on feelings. It's based on the way things make me feel. When I drive south, right, I'm happy when I hit New York City and Washington, D.C., and there's no traffic because it's circumstantial right? If you've ever sat in traffic in either one of those cities, you know exactly what I meant, and you were really tempted to say amen right there. Don't be bashful. Shout it out, all right? Amen. All right. Hallelujah. We're preaching now, all right? But it's outside in. It's circumstantial. Happiness is based on our happy happening, happenings, right? But then joy is different. It's fuel. Joy is a gift, and here's what I want you to hear me say, church. Joy is a gift from Jesus, I mean, when we talk about Advent, we're talking about, and the reason we light these three candles, these are the three things that Jesus, and we've got one more next week, that Jesus comes to bring. And so when we talk about hope, Jesus came to bring hope. We talked about peace last week. Jesus came to bring peace. And when we talk about joy this week, Jesus came to bring joy. Joy is a gift given by Jesus. Joy is not dictated by your happenings. It's not circumstantial. It's not dictated 
by your happenings. It, joy is unchanging. Joy is inside out, right? Where happiness is outside in, joy is inside out. It doesn't run on the ups and downs of life, but it runs from Jesus. Joy is based on Jesus. It comes from God being in your life and the recognition of that. Joy. You can be having the, the worst day happening-wise. Everything can be happening to you. I'm trying not to get too far ahead of the message here, but you can still be joyful. You can still be joyful. It's not based on your happenings. It's based on Jesus in your life. It's based on Jesus in your life. And I hear people say, oh, if I just had more money, oh, if I just had a better job, oh, if I just had, uh, m- you know, more of this, if I just had more of that. If I... No, if you just had more Jesus, you'd be all right. You'd be all right. You can make it through anything. You can make it through anything. So in James chapter 1, I want you to see this. Uh, James, and, 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 I, and I think it, I think it's fair whenever I talk about uh, uh, the James in the book of James, James being the half-brother of Jesus. And if you, if you ever want a great, real, bold Bible study, I encourage you to walk through the book of James. Because, because James, the half-brother of Jesus, is very bold in his writings. He's very bold in his writings. And a lot of times I feel like he's writing to the church of 2019. But he says in the very beginning, I'm going to read verse 1, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the, in the dispersion, greetings. So he's writing to the church, right, as a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 2, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Now, many translations, okay, I preach from the English Standard Version, but many translations say count it pure joy. Pure joy. And I want to talk about today pure joy, clean joy, untainted joy, pure joy. And so he says, count it all joy, my brothers. Count it pure joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Some translations say endurance there. And let endurance or steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now let's just call a timeout right there because you look at verses 2 through 4 and James has already been bold. How's he been bold? First of all, he says, count it pure joy, count it all joy, right? Inside out when you meet trials. Huh. That's not my first reaction. I don't face a trial. I don't see a trial coming. I don't I don't get into a trial and think, oh, joy, right? Pure joy, right? I don't, I don't, that's not my first reaction. But then he goes on to say, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. Notice the other bold statement here, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, when James is writing this, to these 12 tribes, to the church of then and to what I believe the church of now, as he's writing this, his lacking, his nothing is different than how we would define nothing. 
His nothing is different. Lacking in nothing. When he says perfect and complete, I think some of us, many of us, all of us, probably if we're gut level honest this morning, uh, um, would, would have a different definition of what perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, um, than what James is meaning here. And what James is driving at is that pure joy, that all joy. Because if, we have, if we're perfect and complete in Jesus, lacking in nothing, then that's going to be joyful. We have all that we need in Jesus is what he's saying there. In verse 5, he says, if any of you lacks wisdom, one of my favorite verses here, I quote it all the time, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. What a promise. But let him ask in faith. With no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And so happiness is outside in. Joy is inside out. But what I want us to talk about is when we talk about pure joy, joy comes from perspective. He says, count it pure joy, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because I've already talked about, that's not necessarily my first response when I hit a trial, is to think joy. But that's what James says. And so joy comes from perspective. And so three things I want to talk about from this passage. And the first one is this. It is pure joy to experience trials. It is pure joy to experience trials. Pure joy equals trials. If you want a math equation there, then, then, then just do this. Pure joy equals trials. Okay, straight from Scripture, straight from the book of James here. Joy that has been filtered and stands the test of time. I would, I, and, and, and I don't know about you, but when it comes to trials, I try my best to avoid them. Right? I try my best to avoid them. I try my best to avoid trials. I try my best to avoid uh, conversations that I know potentially could produce Trials. I try my best to avoid interstates that I know will produce a trial in my life, in my marriage, in my, in my relationship with my kids. Because I know me and traffic don't mix and anybody that's around me in that moment is going to have a bad day just like I'm going to have a bad day. I try my best to avoid trials. But I want you to see what he says here. He says, count it all joy. Another word there for count is considerate. He says, consider it pure joy. Considering is thinking about something. And so how you see it and what you call it, it's all about perspective when it comes to the trial. And here's the truth about trials. You may not like the trial, but you can trust God in the trial. I love what Johnny Erickson Tata says when she says, God permits that which he hates to accomplish that which he loves. Right? We don't have to like the trial, but we can trust God in the trial. We don't have to like the trial, but we can trust God in the trial. I can eject every time it gets hard or bail, every time it gets uncomfortable. But here's the reality when it comes to trials. We get to pick the perspective. We get to pick the perspective. 
okay, God is going to teach us something in this. I'm not sure what it is, but God's going to teach us something in this. He wants to do something. He wants to perfect something. We get to call it what we want to call it because joy is inside out and it's not based on that trial. So we get to pick the perspective. Here's another thing about trials. We hate taking tests, right? Anybody hate taking tests? I was never a good tester. I was never a good tester. Um, if it surprises you at all, I could talk my way out of anything and I could have a conversation with my teachers about all of the knowledge that they're asking me. But when they, especially true or false, because they word those questions in an ungodly, confusing way, okay? All right, and 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 so and, and so I don't test well. I never I never tested well, but that didn't mean I didn't know the content, right? But here's the truth: when it comes to trials, when it comes to tests, we hate taking tests, but we love tested things, don't we? We hate taking tests, but we love tested things. Bless this church's heart. When they called me as pastor at 26 years old, most churches, the only reason I applied to be the pastor here at this church is because it was the only church that I could find um, in New England that didn't require 10 years of senior pastor experience. So they didn't get a tested thing. They got to experience all of my tests. Bless their hearts. Maybe that's why like only 15 of them are still here that originally were here when I got here. <laughs> you laugh, because you're one of those, two of those, right here. <laughs> because you've experienced a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry and thank you. Okay, <sighs> moving on. Champa's the same. Hewlett's, you were close enough. Same. Ken Jones, whatever. Okay. <laughs> we hate taking tests, but we love tested things, right? We, we love a pastor that's already figured it all out. With, Hmm. Which, by the way, if he says he's already figured it all out, don't hire him. Okay, okay, sorry. Side, side point, sidebar. My favorite commercial right now, my favorite commercial, is it, I think it's AT&T, right? Where the guy's on the hospital bed and he's getting ready for surgery, right? And yeah, 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 you got there. Okay, yeah, we don't agree on football teams, but we love the commercial. All right, um, and, and, and he's laying there and he's like, uh, you know, what do you know about this doctor? Oh, he's okay. And then the doctor comes in. Guess who just got reinstated? Well, sort of, right? <laughs> How you feel? Uh, you know, are, are you nervous? Yeah, yeah, me too. Oh, that's all right. We'll figure it out. See in there, right? Wrong. As someone who just had surgery, I'm out. I'm out. I'm not, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this, right? And, but it, because we love tested things. How many of you want to get on an airplane and then come over the intercom and say, hey, guess what? We've got a, we've got a, a student pilot today that's going to be flying our plane. He's got 60 hours of experience on a computer. We think that things are going to be just fine. <laughs> I got to get out. I got to get off the plane. 
right? I don't, I don't want somebody that hasn't actually flown a plane to fly my plane. Luke, you got some comments over there, buddy? <laughs> okay. Um, but, but we love tested things. Um, what about, what about uh, our sister-in-law is, is, uh, is teaching our nephew how to drive right now. What about getting in the car with somebody that doesn't know how to drive? You want to talk about testing faith, right? You want to talk about testing faith, um, Right? So we, we hate taking tests, but we love tested things. You know a reason you may be missing out on joy? We might be missing out on joy because we keep skipping the tests. I think so many of us miss out on the joy because we just keep avoiding the tests. And there are times, and listen, I, I've just come out of a month, and I'm, and I'm still a little wobbly, and as you fo- uh, folks like to remind me, frequently gimpy, okay, from, from, from my test and my, you know, sidelining of not being able to walk well and, and all of that stuff, right? I, I, some of us like to avoid the test. We just like to avoid the test. We just like skipping the test, but tested things can be trusted, Tested things can be trusted. And so we get to pick their perspective. We've got to consider. And when, and when James says, count it all joy, consider it pure joy, my brothers, that's exactly what he's saying there, right? Press into the test. Embrace the test. Because even though we don't necessarily like the tests, we like tested things. We trust tested things. All right, the second point here when it comes to pure joy to experience trials is perseverance because and we see the word steadfast in there, the steadfastness there in verse 3, for you know that the testing of your faith, you know that the test produces steadfastness, endurance. What does that mean for us? It means we've got to persevere. Testing of our faith produces perseverance, which means holding on and not giving up. See, our faith grows in the soil of struggles. Our faith grows in the soil of struggles. Um, If our faith is never tested, then our faith can't be strong. If our faith is never tested, then our faith can't be strong. And, and, and I love talking to people about Job because so many people today um, in the church, and, and we've got to deal with this, we've got to wrestle with this, right? Um, think that how in the world can, can trials and tests and all of that come from God? Read the book of Job. It wasn't that Job was a bad person. It wasn't that Job didn't have it going together. It was that he was so righteous. The devil wanted somebody to test. He wanted somebody to try. And he went to God and said, give me somebody. And God said, hey, take Job. He's so righteous. And you read that story and everything that got ripped from Job. 40 plus chapters of ripping and testing and devastation and then to see it all restored because of his faithfulness and his perseverance. I like to put it this way, and this is, this is an old youth ministry illustration, but some of you, some of you are going to catch it and pick it up right away. When it comes to perseverance and tests, we live in a Nintendo generation. When the game gets too hard and we get to a level that we can't beat, what do we do? 
We just hit the reset button. Exactly right. We just hit the reset button. I'm not doing this. This is too hard. It's not fun anymore. Because we do things just because we want to enjoy things. Just because we want to find the fun in things. Well, guess what? That's not the point. Because what we're going to get to in just a minute, I'm going to spoiler alert, what we're going to get to in just a minute is all of this is, is, is working right together for the good of you in maturity so that it can produce maturity in you. And if we're just hitting the reset button and skipping the tests all the time, not only are we going to miss out on joy, but we're going to miss out on the things that God's created you for in maturity. When I started playing basketball, Herb's got me thinking about basketball this morning. When I started playing basketball back in 10th grade, um, my, my coach looked at me and he said, the only way you're going to get better and become the player that you want to become is if you play with people that are better than you. And so I started going to a college on Tuesdays and Thursday nights with a friend of mine, and we started playing in the college open gym with the college players. That wasn't fun. As a sophomore, junior in high school to play with these college guys that are playing college basketball, that wasn't fun. I was picked last. Some nights I wasn't even picked at all. Aww. Nobody did it. I mean, thanks a lot. But it made me better. Because I kept going. And I kept showing up. And I kept showing up. And I kept showing up. And I didn't quit. Even though it wasn't fun and I didn't always enjoy it. Because I knew it was producing something better. It was producing something better. And so we, when we face trials, when we face tribulations, when we face these tests, as some translations put it, we can't quit. We've got to stay with it. We've got to press into it. We've got to embrace it. Um, you know, one, one, more, one more thought on that is when you start to skid, right, and you start to go, right, it's so counterproductive, but you turn into it. You don't turn away from it because you're just going to keep skidding, right? You're going to keep spinning. But if you turn into it, you can get control again. When we face trials, we've got to turn into it. We've got to embrace it. We only get the good stuff if we persevere through the process. We only get the good stuff if we persevere through the process. So it's pure joy to experience trials. We spent a lot of time on that one. Hopefully that makes sense. James, again, count it all joy. Count it pure joy when, joy when you meet trials of various kinds. Number two, it's pure joy to attain wisdom. It's pure joy to attain wisdom. Now again, it's not always pure joy to walk through the process of wisdom, but it is pure joy to attain wisdom. What's wisdom? Wisdom is the right use of knowledge, as defined by Warren Wearsby. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. Someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart, while, will, while wisdom is the ability to put them together. I'll read that again because I kind of stumbled over it. Some, someone has said that knowledge is the ability to take things apart while wisdom is the ability to put things back together. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. And here's the thing for us this morning when it comes to wisdom. We need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God's giving us to mature. We need wisdom so that we will not waste the opportunities that God is giving us 
to mature. We are walking in many, 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 many teaching moments in our house right now. Every time I share this with folks, I was, I, was, I was talking with somebody in the community yesterday and kind of meeting them and getting to know them. They said, do you have kids? I just started laughing because I don't even know what to say. Anymore. Yeah, we got kids. Um, is it obvious? Um, and, and they were like, what are their ages? And I looked at Kristen immediately. And Kristen's like, why do you look at me every time? I don't remember. Um, uh, and, and I finally got there on my own, on my own. I was proud of myself. And I said, 11, 9, 4, and 2. And this guy just immediately like took the persona of like a chaplain. <laughs> like, a, like, like a chaplain. He just, he, he, his like head sank, his demeanor like, and he's like, oh, brother. <laughs> I was like, what is that? Like, like, thanks a lot, man. Like, I feel so lifted up right now. Um, but but there, there are many, there are many opportunities to teach, but not all of them are good. And so we're, to, we're, we're in this process right now as parents. It is a daily, daily, daily battle. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Where you got to pick your battles. Pick your battles. But we need wisdom so that we'll not waste the opportunities that God's given us to mature. And as a parent, right, one of my jobs is to make sure that my kid grows up, matures in a way that I think they should, right? Middle school parents, right, that our kids know what deodorant is and how to use it effectively. Again, and again, and again. But we need wisdom so that we'll not waste the opportunities that God's given us to mature. Not only for that as parents and others, and friends and others, I would say, just have the same responsibility. At men's breakfast yesterday morning, we had like 22, 23 guys, and one of the things that we talked about was this right here, that we need to press in to each other's lives Right? And stir each other up to love and good works and, 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 to, and to press into those things and to be vulnerable with each other and to, and to ask for prayer when we need, because we need each other. Right? And so we, we talked about that yesterday, but we also need wisdom in our own lives to turn into those, to embrace those things, to not waste the opportunities that God's given us to mature. Pure joy is the end result of a painful process. And we need wisdom to see that. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. It's so worth it. So what do we do with this one? I have a challenge for you. When it comes to it's pure joy to attain wisdom, answer what if, answer every what if with even if. Answer every what if with even if. What if, what if I get betrayed? What if they gossip? What if they backstab? What if we break up? What if bankruptcy? What if cancer? What if this? What if this? What if that? What if that? It changes it completely, the perspective, and it shifts it, I believe, into joy, even if. I'll praise Him. Even if. I'll praise Him. I think it was about 10 years ago, maybe 11 years ago, but I remember sharing this in my first ever message I preached in this room. There's a pastor down in Dallas, Texas. His name's Matt Chandler. And it was one Thanksgiving morning that he collapsed in his kitchen with a seizure. And come to find out, he had a, 
a brain tumor about the size of a softball. And I remember him going into surgery and he recorded a video for his congregation. And it was about a four, five minute video. And, and in his mind, he didn't know if he was going to ever get to address his congregation again. He is uh, since in remission and he's preaching and preaching. And chances are you might have heard of him or read his books. Um, but I remember him very vividly saying in that video, they, they, put it, they put it everywhere. He said, you know, my heart is, my desire is, I want to walk my kid down the aisle. I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. I want to see this church grow and plant other churches. I want to see this. I want to see that. But I also know that those things may not happen. And to see the peace that was in his face and to hear the joy that was in his heart because it, did, it, it, it wasn't about the cancer. It was about the God that was in Matt Chandler. And I love that. I've been inspired by that so much. But answer every what if with even if so that we might be mature, lacking in nothing. Complete, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It's pure joy. It's pure joy to experience trials. It's pure joy to attain wisdom. And then thirdly, it's pure joy to be single-minded. We talked about this last week, right? We talked about distractions last week. How many of you experienced a distraction this past week since we talked about distractions last week? I experienced too many to count. Um, isn't it fun how God does that, right? You have a conversation, you talk about something, and then He's like, hey, let's just do this. Let's distract you all week. It's pure joy to be single-minded. He says there in verse 6, He says, uh, but let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that it will receive anything from the Lord, that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And this is similar to what we talked about last week. When it comes to distractions and how to fight distractions, we've got to know the priority, right? In the same way, it's pure joy to be single-minded. Paul tells the church, and Philippi, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, he says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do. Everybody say one thing. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. And so here Paul is talking about this pure joy, being forgetting what lies behind, but straining forward, being single-minded to what lies ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal, not the goals, right? But the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so James talks about being single-minded. Paul talks about being single-minded. And in my life, I don't know about you. Actually, I do know about you. And if we applied this, this would be true for you. And maybe you are applying it and it is true for you. But in my life, there is not ever more joy than when I'm closest to Jesus. In my life, there is not a higher level of joy than when I am closest to Jesus. And you want to know the truth in that? I'm closest to Jesus when I need Him the most. And so what that means for me is I have to recognize my need for Jesus every single day of my life. And I need Him most when I'm facing a trial. I'm closest to Jesus. I, I, in my life, I don't experience any more joy than when I'm closest to Jesus. I'm closest to Jesus when I need Him the most. And I need Him the most when I'm facing a trial. Pure joy equals trials. If you look down at verse 12 of James chapter 1, he says, blessed is the man. He comes back to it. 
He says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Blessed. Blessed. You know what that word blessed means? It means complete. It means fulfilled. And you want to know what I believe we're looking for more than ever right now in our culture? Fulfillment. And Paul, not Paul, James says, blessed is the man. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial. Blessed. We don't have to fear trials. We welcome them. And so as we, as we kind of come to, okay, so what do I do with this? Right? We turn into trials. We face them. We embrace them. We've, we've got to get single-minded. We've got to recognize that this is going to bring wisdom in my life. But first and foremost, I want to step back to joy. Where does joy come from? Now, you may think this is cheesy, but I love the little acrostic of joy. Jesus, others, you. Right? In that order, and I, and I feel like I mentioned that every Christmas, but I just think, man, if we could grasp that, if we could understand that, if we could put that into practice on a regular basis instead of uh, talking about how cheesy it is, then we might see a shift. But anyway, I love that. But we've got to ask ourselves the question, where does this joy come from? And we've talked about it, we've talked around it a little bit, but the truth is it comes from the presence of God. I mean, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, the result of being around the Father and experiencing the fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy is the person of Jesus in my life. Our, Our joy isn't determined how our life plays out. But our joy is determined by the Jesus that is alive in the middle of it. And so again, if you're sitting here this morning, and again, don't, don't talk about happiness, right? But if you're sitting here this morning, you'd say, man, I just need more joy. I need more perspective. I believe the crux of what we're saying there is, I need more Jesus. I need more Jesus. And when you think about fruit, because again, if, if joy is a, is a fruit of the Spirit, and it is, Galatians love joy, peace, patience, and so on, fruit needs watering. How are you watering that relationship? How are you watering Jesus in your life? How, how are you watering that? Because fruit needs watering. We're in this thing right now where we're watering that live tree in our living room, right? And it needs watering because if it doesn't get watered, and we've had this experience a couple of times, right? If it doesn't get watered for a couple of days, then it gets dry. And then pine needles end up even more places than they already do. And that needs, so it needs watering, right? It needs watering. The second thing the second thing is that fruit needs care. If it's, if it's going to be, right, if it's, if it's going to grow, right, if it's going to grow, then it needs care. Listen to me. If you want to protect the joy in your life, then you have to practice self-care. Now, this isn't a self-help message or anything like that. What does that self-care look like? It means how do you get time with Jesus? How do you get time to press in 
to the Father, right? The result, if joy is the result of being around the Father, then how do we get time to press into the Father? And the last one, the last one is this, and you've got, you got to hang with me here because I'm not going where you might think I'm going, okay? But you've got to hang with me here. What is another thing that fruit needs to grow? It's this thing we call fertilizer. Where does fertilizer come from? So pure joy equals trials. You see what we did there? Okay, got to kind of put your thinking caps on there. Fertilizer comes from stinky stuff. Right? It does. And I would say that for a lot of us, we look at trials as stinky stuff. That's probably the most politically correct way I can say that in a message, in a sermon, and on a Sunday morning in church. Stinky stuff, right? Right? And, and, and so we've got to see that if this fruit, this joy, I said stinky stuff and he's leaving. It was nice to have you in church. All right. Um, and, 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 and so if we're going to press into the joy, then we've got to press in to the trials of our life. You see that? Because they produce joy. Joy equals trials. Pure joy equals trials. We've got to have watering. We've got to press into the presence of Jesus. We need self-care. So how are we going to do that, right? We need care. So how are we going to do that? How, how, are other people's going to, how are other people going to press us into that, push us into that? And we need the fertilizer. We need the trials to create the joy in our life. So two questions. Two questions as we close. Very, very, very basic. What do you need to do about this in your life? As you sit here and you think about this, what do you need to do about this in your life? And if we're going to ask another question, it would be, what is God saying to you about this? So what is God saying to you about joy and what do you need to do about it? What's God saying to you this morning about joy and what are you going to do about it? Because here's the biggest biggest mistake we make when we, when, we, when we think about church and we come to church and we hear a message like this is we walk out the door, we go back to our lives and we forget all about it. But I believe this message of joy is too important for us to walk out of the building this morning and not think about it. So what's God saying to you about joy? It may be, hey, you need to spend some more time with me. You need to press into me. You need to press into this thing in your life, this person in your life that just, that just is hard to be around. It's hard to be around. And the question is, how is God using you in that person's life? How is God using that situation to mature you, to bring you to completeness? And what are you going to do about it? And so the two questions that we ought to ask ourselves at the end of every message, what's God saying to us? And what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? I'm sure you could tell, but I could probably keep talking and talking and talking about this. But again, I'm not sure that's going to change anything. What's going to change anything in your life is you answering these two questions. What's God saying to you right now when it comes to joy? And what are you going to do about it? Let's pray. So God, 
with that, I ask that you speak to us. I ask that you speak to us and I ask that you show us, God, maybe how you're using trials in our life, you're using tests in our life right now. God, I pray that we would answer the question as you speak to us this morning, what are you saying to us? And God, help us to apply that. And so God, I, I believe that if we went around the room this morning and we asked, asked each other the question, do you want more joy? I believe the answer would be yes. And so God, I pray that you would show us your way to joy this morning and that your, your way back to you and presence with you and that we would ask for wisdom and that we would ask wholeheartedly and not doubt, but that God, we would be single-minded when it comes to joy. So God, I pray these things. I pray this message over us, that we would walk out of this place joyful from the inside out, not thinking about what our bank account looks like or, or those things and, and basing our joy on those things, but we would base our joy on your presence and that that perspective would drive the ship in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.